the big wireless companies sold you an outdated plan tied to long-term contracts and mystery fees. Simple Mobile's different. You get a lightning-fast 4G LTE nationwide network with no contract, ever. And keep the phone and number you love. Just text the word BYOP to 611611 to see if your phone is compatible. Simple Mobile. Out with the old, in with the simple. Standard text message and data rates may apply based on your mobile phone service. Please refer always to the privacy policy at simplemobile.com slash privacy policy and the terms and conditions at simplemobile.com slash terms and conditions. Go. Go ahead. Hey, welcome to an all new episode of American Gods, talking American Gods. Stealing a line from the person who taught me everything that I needed to know about being a good podcaster. I'm broadcasting from sunny Hawaii. Just had to throw that in there. Uh, not to make anybody jealous, just to let you know that, uh, yeah, it's always sunny in Hawaii. So, And I'm here with, let's see, we've got Kinte. Kinte, how's everything going? Awesome. I am doing wonderful, and I'm so happy to be here with you beautiful people. Kinte is all the way live from sunny California, where I hear that it's always sunny. Or maybe that's just a title. I'm not sure. but <clears throat> Yes, it's always sunny. There we go. And we have Yardley. Yardley, how's everything going for you? Hey, I'm doing good. The weather's great here in Atlanta as well. Really can't complain over the last week. So uh, I think all three of us have a, a lot in common as far as weather is concerned. So interestingly enough, I heard that in Colorado, there was going to be, uh, it was 80 degrees one day and there was going to be a blizzard the next day. And I thought that's got to be the onion talking. And sure enough, there is a blizzard in Colorado right now. So all I can say is thank God we don't live there. Yeah, definitely agreed. And I think that there was some snow in um, North Carolina um, last week. All of a sudden, the middle of the week, it started snowing. I can't remember. Gosh, columbia or raleigh or something but um a friend of mine had posted and they showed pictures they were like you know it was the weather was okay the day before and then it started snowing and i'm like man this is kind of crazy but you know what either you're alive and enjoying or hating it or you're dead so bring on the rain and the snow as far as i'm concerned I, I think the next show that we should actually do a podcast of is has something to do with cavemen because I feel like that's where we're headed. So I think we should all get our mastodon hunting skills down here. What do you guys think? I'm all I'm, for it. I'm, I'm all for it. it. And uh, and <laughs> just as a, a side note, uh, this Sunday uh, at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern, we will be covering the final season of uh, Game of Thrones. So that should be a lot of fun. So that's a great segue because, of course, yeah. winter is coming, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think on Game of Thrones, I'm pretty sure it's not winter is coming. I think it's uh, winter has arrived. But yeah, that should be exciting. I'm, I, yeah. I know I'm excited about that. It should be pretty dope. And on top of that, you know, anybody who never podcasted or talked about Game of Thrones previously, if there's a time that you should probably take the liberties to do it would be a season where it's only six episodes and it's the final season. So why not? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, just along those lines, right. Just like we've said about American gods before, it's not really something you can just sort of jump into. You really do need to see what came before. I feel like game of Thrones, even though of course you want to know all of the history, you can pick up game of Thrones at any season and go, this is awesome. 
because there's just so much action. There's so much entertaining dialogue. There's so, And of course, there's always so much history. But honestly, if you haven't even watched all the way up until now, I don't know how you're alive on this planet, but okay, you should definitely watch. It, it, I think it's going to be that good. <laughs> hey, hey, but let's let's not disrespect the planet because most of the planet has not seen Game of Thrones. You know, um, go to go um, to you know. <laughs> so it's um, like my, you know. So my my planet experience is basically you know the people who live in my house and perhaps a few small friend circles. So yeah, you know my world is small. It's it's good. I'm, I'm good. I'm I'm good that way. But hey. It's all about us, though. So I'm. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do it. You know, I'm I'm ready for it as well. I actually got my HBO Now subscription just for you know. I always do it for two months while Game of Thrones is on. So it's for me. It's really official. Oh, nice! Really yeah. nice. nice. All right then. So uh, so just by by byline then are are we actually podcasting Game of Thrones too? Yeah. Wait. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right um, then. Yeah, uh, yeah, Sunday nights. Yeah. So that's one more thing to look forward to. That's right. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hop into uh, this this episode. Wait, 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 wait. We have a remember about me. Oh, oh yeah, no, I I'm, did, totally didn't forget. Oh, okay, I was gonna okay. get right there. Yep. Oh, okay. Ye of such little faith. Oh, mm-hmm. boy. <laughs> um, okay, so the, I'm going to do this a little bit differently this week because uh, I think that this week's episode was uh, it, it was interesting to say the least, and and I do want to be sure that we honor some of the uh, book pieces that are involved here. But before we get to that and how we had a segue into the book, I want to ask you, Kente, specifically, since you started reading the book. What do you think about the uh, the way that the series has has been in terms of how the book, in terms of your experience in reading the book? Um, well, I'll say this: um, I'm not. I'm two hours into it, so because I've been reading it as well as listening to audiobook. So um, where I'm at is after. Uh, after um, uh, Shadow is kidnapped by um, a technical boy, and uh, he re- he returns to the uh, motel room with uh, Wednesday, so that's where I left off at. Um, the thing that I was really uh, interested in, and uh, and it was something that uh, listening to you guys when you guys would talk about it, since you guys were both readers of the book, is how faithful it is to the book the the first episode at least the first episode is is those first 2 hours of the book and it's the dialogue the exact dialogue is in the episode for a lot of the scenes and a lot of the happenings in there it's very slight changes to it and it was very interesting you know uh, from the mundane parts of the book a lot of it was in there and it was really interesting. It was very cool. And first of all, he writes so well. So uh, I can see why they did that. But um, it was a it was a very faithful, um, faithful, uh, uh, almost like a port <laughs> of uh, yeah. of it. You know, I was like, wow, I, I was surprised how much it was just the same, you know? Uh, yeah. So that's really good. And you also, you know, you get a lot of people who as time went on, as the show started um, kind of going away 
from the books in certain aspects. But from a TV viewing standpoint, even if you read the books, I think that most people should probably understand that the way that you sustain a TV show, you couldn't go a route that totally mirrored this particular book. Right. Now, one, because people wouldn't, might not necessarily, it wouldn't be as easy to track. And, they, and you know, I'm not even saying that if you read the book, that a lot of stuff that you see in the TV show is easy to track because there's still lots of stuff that leaves me wondering, you know, sometimes too. I know that we break these things down, but there's always so much to unpack. But you can see by reading the book probably up to this point, Kente, that like with a character like Laura Moon, mm -hmm. you definitely have to do different stuff for the TV show to make it, you know, a sustainable thing. You see what I'm saying? Right, right, it's definitely. Kind of, Definitely. Yeah. They made some, so far, it seems like they made the right decisions. Um, it's funny, though, the actor who does the voice for Shadow Moon sounds a lot like uh, um, Ricky, what's his name? Ricky Whittle, right? So uh, mm -hmm. that was pretty, I was like, wait a minute, is that him? Like for a minute, <laughs> like, I was like, wow, it sounds like, it sounds like him. And, and Mr. Wednesday is very similar, too. And I know they recorded it way before the show. It sounds a lot like uh, um, uh, Ian McShane. And uh, one thing that was, I love to re get to the part where they're in the bar and the alligator bar, which is the same as in the book. And right. um, the, the whole back and forth with uh, Matt Sweeney was really good in the book as well, you know, as depicted on the show. And when he, the way that it was written about how he was doing, the, he was throwing the coins up and, you know, and all, all of that. And I, I thought it was very good. And even the fight scene was very well written as well um, between Mad Sweeney and Shadow Moon. I thought it was very good. So I'm looking forward to continuing to read the book and I'm very excited about it. So. You know, uh, something that I think is, is uh, it, it's, it, it, I think it depends on whether you are interested in reading the book or not. But one of the things about Neil Gaiman that is so incredibly fascinating is that his uh, narrative prose style lends itself almost directly from book to screen. Mm -hmm. He has such an incredible uh, command and mastery over uh, his style that the moment that you start reading, you feel immersed. And <clears throat> to the people who have read his other stuff, it's, it, it's, it's all very similar. Um, there's, and I don't mean similar story-wise, I mean similar in terms of his style. Um, and I, I felt that in the very first couple of episodes that it felt like it had just been copy and pasted almost directly from the book onto the screen, which when you think about it is that that's quite an accomplishment as an, as an author, but also, uh, it, what I think most people now are kind of struggling with is that we are veering down different paths. We are experiencing a, a subtle jarring sort of in the narrative that isn't a hundred percent book related, but that does lend itself to it's still in the spirit, right? Nothing that they have done so far has made me feel like they've not honored uh, the story or, or even the narrative prose. It's just, it just feels a little bit different. So I, I, I hope honestly that as you read further, Kinte, that you discover uh, more of those 
<clears throat> little subtle differences in how they may or may not have been sort of a, a good call. And but maybe even by the time that we're done with this season, you'll have caught up. And then by next season, we'll all be on the same page. Literally. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I, I tend to make those things on purpose. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So. Uh, I think this time, instead of going in uh, sort of chronological order, I want to uh, uh, tackle stuff uh, group by group. So the the first piece that, and I'm going to kind of go out of chronological order, specifically even with the groups, I really want to talk first about Mad Sweeney and Laura's incredible journey to New Orleans. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, so first of all, uh, the, there's a million different symbols that we could go into and talk about. There's so much with the with Mardi Gras in particular, where it, it just feels like it's the perfect place and location to sort of get this whole thing going. But I wanted to get both of you to tell me how you thought this, the whole death Loa thing was going to unfold versus how it did unfold. I actually had no idea, you know, going in. Well, I knew that there was going to have to be a trade-off. You know, you have to, a little quid pro quo, you know, you got to give a little something to get something. I knew that there was going to be some type of trade-off. I didn't exactly know what the trade-off would be. And what we found out was, you know, the trade-off for what um, Baron Samidi um, giving Laura that potion, even though it was incomplete, the trade-off was for her to finally accept and kind of reveal the truth, so to speak. And I know as we talk deeper into this, we'll get into what that truth is, but I totally agree with you about new Orleans being a great setting. However, as, as time kind of went on, I really can't say until, you know, until they started, uh, until she started smashing Bushmaster, <laughs> I didn't really like, <laughs> I really didn't, try, you know what I'm saying? I, I really wasn't, um, I was really, I don't want to say that I was surprised that the truth that was revealed about Laura, you know, was what it was, because I think we said many episodes ago, or at least I know I put it out there. I was like, yeah, Laura and Matt Sweeney are going to be a thing. Like, yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> you know, they were going to be a thing. Um, I like how that reveal was, was brought out, but I think it showed us a lot of things. Like, for instance, when the truth came out with Laura, like really not, you know, loving shadow and with um, the Baron saying that, you know what, you don't have to be upset about cheating on your husband essentially because you were living your truth you were just being who you were right and the thing that i thought was kind of cool when we learned that laura's truth was you know she was feeling some kind of way about mad sweeney um i think both of those characters feel a certain way about each other because of uh primarily from one point remember essie mcgowan you remember that coming yep. to america story Yep. how Essie McGowan looked just like Laura Moon and she was the kind of the person that he, you know, that he kind of was saying, hey, you're the one that brought me, you know, to this country. You kept believing in me and all of those things. So I think there's a connection with Mad Sweeney going back to Essie McGowan who looked like Laura Moon. And I also feel like the coin, the significance of the coin, um, it was showing us in this episode that I think that that coin in some type of way has kind of binded 
those characters together in some type of a way, you know? So uh, I think the way that it pulled, it was pulled off was good. And I, and I've got to say, I mean, like she kills it in her scenes though, because when, <laughs> when the Baron was talking about, Hey, you've never been this close to living and you're sweating and you're getting all worked up. And she like gave him every sign in the book, the like come and take me sign uh-huh. <laughs> you know what i'm saying she really wanted to know if her stuff was really working but i thought that the whole scene played out well and uh were either of you surprised that they were so blatant and showing that her and mad sweeney were kind of uh connected like that okay so I, i'm just i just want to grab this before i turn it back over to you can take because i think i you know i really want to get your take on this too but i just wanted to mention real quick that uh, you know, there's a literal translation, which is which is uh, which is both of a sexual nature and not of a sexual nature. Remember that the coin is inside of Laura. I mean, literally, Mad Sweeney and everything that makes him tick, gives him anything special, is already inside of Laura. And so, <clears throat> the 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 bonded connection that the two of them share is both literally and transfiguratively right there in black and white for anybody to see. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, but go ahead, Kinte, what did you think? I mean, uh, I mean, it wasn't very surprising. I mean, we all pretty much saw it coming. I mean, they've been put going towards that way. Um, and it makes sense. They're probably more suited for each other than Shadow and, 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 uh, and Laura. So... You know, and he's going off to bigger and better things. So, you know. Well, and yeah. and let, let's not forget that Laura was dead, <clears throat> not uh, figuratively dead, not pretend dead. She was dead, and so whatever happens to her, I think Mr. Ebus basically got it right on the head. They're not the same when they come back, and because I, I don't think cemetery? he was talking. Yeah, he wasn't talking the Walking Dead or Pet Cemetery or anything. What I think what he was saying was, look, you know what? Any reverend that comes back is not going to be the same. They don't have the same motives. They don't have the same fascinations. They don't have the same passions. They're just not the same. Like, it wasn't horror movie spooky. Ooh, they're not the same. It was, mm-hmm. nope, everything about them has changed because they're everything about what made them who they are is now gone. They're, they were dead. <clears throat> that that seems to me to be uh, pretty phenomenally big, actually. And actually, doesn't that that kind of bounces both ways uh, in the same way that even though Shadow's not a dead person, one of the facts that you can kind of tell that he was moving away from Laura is, number one, the person that he loved was the one that died given a blowjob to her best friend's husband. <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? While you're right. in jail. So that's your last recollection. Because of her. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, 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 exactly. So you never come back, you know, you never come back from that. And then on top of that, as you were saying, Jen, she's literally dead. And there's no way that you can go, to, what, what do they call it? Necro, what do they call it when people? Yeah, necrophilia. Necro, necrophilia, yeah. I don't think the Shadow Moon would be willing, you know, to go there. But but you're right. I mean, all of the things were stacked against Laura. So I, I think along with her knowing that she's dead, she also knows that she put herself in a position where she could never be upset that Shadow 
if he just told her straight up, didn't want anything to do with her, she couldn't combat that because she, you know, Mr. Wednesday pointed out, what was it, a couple of episodes ago about how Shadow was in love with the woman that, that tried to commit suicide with the bug spray. Right, and, right. But, you know, and she looked so hurt, but I think, and we actually pointed it out in that podcast, she looked hurt, but you know, she knew that they, it was true. There's another inference of truth coming out. It was the truth. And truth was another theme, um, you know, in this episode as well. I thought that it was done well, but this whole episode, and I know both of you have to totally agree, there was some heavy stuff in this, you know, in this oh episode. My God, like they, yeah, there was. They, yeah, they, yeah, I mean, they really went in. And I was one of the people who were thinking early on that, you know, I was like, oh, you know, this season, you know, it feels a little bit different. Something's kind of off or whatever. If there is an episode and you were feeling that way before, for me, I think that this is the episode that kind of got me even more on board than I was. But I can also see a standpoint where a lot of things that were done or discussed in this episode, some people, it flew over their heads. Or some people are saying that they might not understand it, or maybe you don't want to understand it because some of the truths <laughs> that they're bringing out in this episode right. are making you feel some kind of way. So I think this this episode, no matter which direction it goes or how people feel about it, it definitely has a lot to chew on. So it, it, it feels to me <clears throat> like this episode was uh, fairly specifically designed to push every uncomfortable button that a person might have about the world that we are exploring. And for good reason, I, I'll get to that in a second. But each and every one of the actions that our characters here took, including Mr. Wednesday, which I, I will get to in a second also. But every single thing that kind of happened here was basically a pushback against some kind of either societal or cultural norm that we experience and uh, and it felt very intentional that pushback that that sort of in your face really brash um i'm done just tiptoeing around what the truths are here here it is in black and white laid naked in front of you and if you like it great and if you don't then there's the door. See ya. And it felt really, it, it, it felt important. Like, uh, look, you know, there are two, there's too many important issues to go through here to be pretending that what you're seeing at the center is not what, what they brought forth in this episode. And I, I feel like that was really important. I, I wanted to, to, first of all, I just have a random observation that I got to make about that stupid sex scene. I, not the stupid sex scene. I'm sorry. It wasn't stupid. It was awesome. But the, about that sex scene that was stupid on my part, I could not get over how freaking thin Laura is. Like the whole time, I should have been paying attention to something totally different. And I was like, oh, my God, that woman is going to break. It was terrible. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that was just my random. Well, I couldn't she, help it. Well, she she was, you know. She's definitely tiny in comparison to him, but I think if you go back and listen to our earlier shows from last year, me and Kente broke down her body yeah. <laughs> while oh, she yeah. was um, in the bathtub. <laughs> I remember. Whatever, I remember that. In the hotel. Yes. So we always knew that she was thin, but we didn't care. <laughs> Yes. I think she took it good. like a champ too, by the way. I know, like, <laughs> all right. And you know, it, it, and isn't it so funny how like the whole time, you know, when um she was with the Baron, I mean, it was telegraphed so much that like, oh yeah, it's about to go down. I mean, just the fact that Laura 
anytime she somebody puts it out, you know, oh my God, I'm I'm just so bad at being impulsive. And then <laughs> you know, just yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. You're like, oh my God. And then I knew it was over once he mentioned, you know, hey, yeah, we, we love each other, but when we're not around each other, you know, we, we have sex with other people. And when she took that drink, I was like, Yeah, she's about to she's about to go there. This the the, the this whole thing. So first of all, to anybody who doesn't know uh, Death Loa are very much uh, uh, a part, or a, uh, uh, what's the word? Not a uh, not a representation, but sort of an incorporation of voodoo magic, right? There, there's there's always this sort of the guiding spirits or the guiding presences behind the 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 journey to the to death. And I mean, the Egyptians have it. We know that Mr. Yeah. Jackal is one of them, and you know, like that kind of thing. This, though, because they have physical form and because it obviously they are not like the other gods right <clears throat> they're they are definitely very different um yeah it seemed to me like their presence was very much uh, a presence of utility right not a presence of we wouldn't even want them to be involved in the war because they're they they don't have the same kind of yeah. uh presence right i mean they are definitely tools of this world does that make sense yeah absolutely and um i actually have um baron samedi's uh some information on it if uh you know we can throw it out there for the listeners yeah let's do it um so um baron samedi's loa of resurrection uh loa are the spirits of haitian voodoo and louisiana voodoo and in the latter capacity he is often called upon for healing by those near or approaching death as it only as it is, only the Baron can accept an individual into the realm of the dead. So Baron Samiti spends most of his time in the invisible realm of voodoo spirits. He's notorious for his outrageous behavior, swearing continuously and making filthy jokes to the other spirits. He is married to another powerful spirit known as Maman Brigitte, but often chases after mortal women. He loves smoking. He loves drinking and is rarely seen without a cigar in his mouth or a glass of rum in his bony fingers. He can usually be found at the crossroads between the worlds of the living and the dead. When someone dies, he digs their grave and greets their soul after they have been buried, leading them to the underworld. He's usually depicted with a top hat, black tail coat, glasses, cotton plugs in his nostrils. Uh, kind of to resemble a corpse. You know, anybody who's been in New Orleans, you go to Mardi Gras, I mean, uh, you see, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You see it like all over, you know, all over the city. You know, if you go to New Orleans, um, the the top hats and the skull faces and things like that. Um, so essentially, um, he resembles a corpse, um, but um, a corpse that was fit for burial in a Haitian um, style um, um, funeral. So, I think that, you know, the character and of course, Madame Brigitte is, um, you know, the death loader and the consort, of course, of the Baron. Uh, and she's another heavy drinker, basically does, for the most part, all of the same things. So they're definitely a couple that are bound to each other. But I thought that their representations on the show um, were great. But these spirits are definitely a bridge between, you know, the living and the dead. And I think that that's cool how they, you know, intertwine that into the into the scene. Yeah, me too. I, I really did like, although, okay, let's, let's be totally honest. Okay. The actor that they got to play the Baron, uh, he was about as far from being a corpse as is physically possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I mean, like, I could feel him alive and heat in my living room. It was insane. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah there, was, yeah, there was some kind of presence. There was, that was big. That was just, wow. And I loved her, too. She was amazing. You, you know, one of the things that I always keep wanting to note, and then I got to move on because I really do want to get to Shadow and Froggy. Um, one of the things that I noticed about this show, uh, even in the previous season, is they do not shy away from giving women the absolute best roles and do not color them by just gender. And I mean that in the most ethically positive way possible. There is nothing that can be done by a man in this world that cannot be done by a woman. And it, it just feels not just equal but it feels empowering it's it's awesome yeah and you know what and you're you're definitely right you know and it's kind of funny because even in this situation with um with everything that went down with laura uh and the baron she was totally in control of her own situation you know what i mean so i thought that that was kind of i thought that that was kind of you know kind of awesome as well yeah, I mean, I, I forgive the show for that, you know. Uh, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just Get kidding. out of town. So uh, to, to anybody who's, uh, who, who is a horror file, anybody who loves horror, um, there is a great story about the Baron in uh, a film called, um, uh, okay, now I'm going to totally forget what it is, Sugar Hill. It's called Sugar Hill. And, I mean, it's not the best movie in the world, but it's an excellent movie about the supernatural and a very realistic uh, representation. Oh, not the Wesley Snipes movie. It's good. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Sugar Hill. Right. Paranormal shit. Okay, that, so hold, so uh, there is a, there, it, it's, it, it's the zombie hitman. Do you know, did you ever hear that? Have you ever seen that? No. Nah, okay, so it's from 1974. And I think I'm not sure if it's on Shutter. I know it's on Amazon. And oh, it's, 1974. It, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's good. It's oh, really good. It's it's a it's a great Saturday night flick to hang out and watch. Here's a trailer. Oh, okay. Yeah, you'll you'll definitely. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not the best movie, but it's fun. It's really fun. Anyway, that's oh, a black movie. All right. So I am. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I they didn't mention it in horror noir, but I was kind of hoping that they would. Um, okay, so I want to I want to just move on to uh, to Shadow and Froggy here because I, I I feel like man that was such a that that also coming in a close second in terms of narrative excellence in this episode is definitely this whole story. Um, I personally I feel like this is sort of a core function of American Gods at this point is to get us into who is shadow and and why is he here what is he doing and the he's in this house of death and he every place that he goes he basically experiences something that is related to where he is which is kind of a cool character to have around and so while he's here in the funeral home he uh he comes into contact with uh will james right and the the I, without going through the whole thing i i just i there's a lot of stuff that happens in here there's a lot of really almost uncomfortable um 
ideas that get put forward. And, you know, just like last week, you know, I, I, I'm the white woman sitting here talking about this in, in terms of what I see and how they portrayed this particular piece of the culture. But I'm going to say that <clears throat> I, I not just liked this. I, I felt like it was one of the most vivid explorations inside of a mythology that I've seen in a long time that sort of molds what is what we understand about the past and what we understand about what's happening right now in our culture today. And also, I wanted to point out that, you know, one of the flashbacks that uh, is seen from Will James' uh, point of view had Laura in it. Did you see that? Yeah, she was when he was walking past. I had gotten the the notion that sh she was the woman that they were trying to show in the episode was the one that was going to end up being the one that was causing his death. But it's kind of interesting that <laughs> they picked Laura Moon to be that person. I'm like, oh shit, Shadow, you better, yeah, you better get the <laughs> you better head for the hills, bro, because it's, but, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's weird. It says something. Okay, so, you know, this is just my conspiracy brain, right? Because I always have narrative conspiracy brain. It says something about the character Laura to me. It says that Laura is sort of the quote unquote reincarnation of a hundred different regular mortals in the American gods universe. That You know what I'm saying when I say that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it really made. It, it, I loved it, actually. I loved that little piece. But, okay, so I'm going to let you run with this, uh, Yardley. Tell <laughs> no, me what you thought about it. But also, remember, whenever um, whenever he sees her, there's that image of Shadow. He's got on the top hat, kind of like the Baron, and he's looking yep. normal, and then it flashes, and then it's got that evil, you know, the the real hate filled face and the, you know, with the fangs and all of those things. So there's a lot of stuff to unpack, but the, the, the graphic nature, because usually if you have something that graphic, they'll get it out of the way and then they'll kind of move on to their next thing. They were showing the imagery from the, the, the lynching of, um, Will of James. Will James, um, you know, pretty much through all three parts of the episode. So you never, right. they never, you never really escaped um, the reality of that situation. The other thing that was, um, well, something I want to ask both of you, had you heard about, um, you know, Will James prior to this episode? No. Historically? No, I So I, I didn't. I didn't. But then I went and, of course, you know, looked it up to see if there was anything that could be had from it. Yeah, well, uh, well, for the listeners, um, the character that was being um, that they were showing throughout the episode, um, Will Froggy James, is what they called him. Uh, he was a black man that was implicated in the murder of a white girl, and he was captured in um, Belknap, Illinois. So, from the the, the New York Times, had published this, you know, a story about what happened, and I'm just going to read it quickly. It says the judges, the jury, and the executioners lifted the rope to avenge the dead woman. But the rope broke and threw James roughly to the ground. As he stood up, several people in the crowd riddled his body with approximately 500 bullets. William James was dead. The mob ran with his bleeding body to the murder scene in the alley. One man chopped off James' head, put it on a pike, and lifted it up for the cheering crowd to see. The mob then set James' body on fire and roasted the remains while men, women, and children shouted and cheered. 
when the fire died out, the horror continued as people moved in to dismember the body. Some took out their pocket knives and cut off ears and fingers and broke up bones to take its gruesome souvenirs. After James was killed, the same lynch mob went back to the jail. After James was dead, the mob returned, kidnapped uh, this, this white man, Henry uh, Salzner. He was a photographer who was charged with murdering his wife uh, with an axe. Uh, his sentence um, was scheduled later that month, but the mob decided to, you know, since they were in their fervor, to serve their own justice. Uh, uh, Selzner was lynched and shot and, you know, the same way that, um, that James was. Um, shouting matches and, like, looting and all this type of stuff had... Um, you know, kind of had an uptick in Cairo. There were racial tensions prior to these things happening. And, um, you know, the Illinois National Guard had to be called in and martial law was actually called, you know, to restore the town. As bad as that was, what did come out of it was, some, you know, of course, after certain extremes happened, there was some things, and we already know, even when people uh, try to pass laws or rules uh, that are stronger because of stuff like this happens, you know, that stuff still was going on. You know what I mean? So especially when it's up to, you know, some of the places that a lot of these very, um, you know, some of these events would occur, especially with the racism that was going on in that, you know, in Illinois at that time or whatever. But it's a true story. And everything that they did in the television show it wasn't like they made things up and this is what made it what kind of made it a little bit more horrible. It's not like the TV show made up this stuff, this gruesome stuff just to right. kind of shock the crowd. The gruesomeness was the fact that they depicted exactly, you know, mm. what happened to them. You, you know what I mean? So, uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's definitely was strong. So I know that you, your draw was on the floor. Cause I know mine was, I was like, oh, okay, so they really, you know, they're really going in on this. You know, yep. I, I wasn't like turned off by it, but I was like, you know, one, I shouldn't be surprised cause this, this show has never really held back. But just the fact that they took the truth and put it in your face. And like you said, Jen, it made everybody uncomfortable. Yeah, which, which I feel like was, uh, was, so incredibly important because okay the, the, it 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 narrates a larger point in american gods where we continually talk about why the gods uh keep fighting for quote-unquote worship and what worship looks like and why worship is so incredibly subjective like what counts as worship what is prayer uh we saw that in the prayer for mad sweeney it's not always what we think it is. And here, what we can see is things can be kept alive just with the sheer emotion and volume of, uh, of feeling on one way or for one way or for another. And I think that that was so perfectly illustrated when, uh, when <coughs> Mr. Nancy was walking in Cairo and he came up uh, at that at that corner where the uh, what's his name? It just made the, the drug score. And it says basically somewhere in America on the on the actual building. I don't know if you saw that, yeah. but right. Oh, yeah. That, well, they've so, done that in every episode, Jen. Though. That, that's right, right, Easter right. in every episode. Yeah. I'm just saying that that it meant something here because I said that, you know, it happened last time in the parking lot, but here it meant something because, because I think that to me, it feels like what they are, what they were trying to say in this particular episode is, it, you know, he, this is a, the birth of a legend is, doesn't have to be 
to the glory of uh of the tree growing or the sounds of valhalla or uh you know a million likes on instagram sometimes the birth of a legend and the birth of something darker and more sinister than even a god can uh can can uh anticipate is the self-hatred and the self-loathing that comes along with doing all the wrong things and and it was crazy because this is exactly Exactly what Mr. Nancy said in the last episode when he said our failure to act that basically what it what he what he predicted last episode is what we saw this episode our failure to act this is what it brings so yeah and and you know when you look at especially in this episode like the conversation between Mr. Nancy and his, it's Mr. Ibis right yeah Mr. Yes. Ibis yeah, um, like Mr. Nancy in a lot of these episodes has come across from a standpoint of pointing out and narrating to the audience the different ways that like institutionalized racism, right. you know, is going on, right? Then when you look at a lot of scenes, or I'm going to stick with this episode between Nancy and Mr. Ibis, Mr. Ibis also comes from a standpoint of he points out that sometimes shooting yourself in the foot, despite you already knowing that things are rigged against you, you're kind of, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you're kind of um, this this self-hatred. You're kind of uh, making certain things or certain way things are a self-fulfilling uh, type, you know, prophecy. And the fact that they both come at there, there's a big overall picture but they both come at it from two different um standpoints because at some point uh, mr nancy also accuses mr ibis of being the person that's kind of you know pushing the agenda of killing you know black folks so they can get more bodies you know well, <laughs> this table, well, I, which kind of goes back to the you know we're not unified enough to uh, execute our goals See, see, and and this I think is a really important, uh, an important point to bring out here because uh, the the American gods pantheon, whether they're new gods or old gods, they it they they are they're morally not what we think of morality. <clears throat> Anytime American gods wants to point to morality, they use a mortal, they use a, a regular person to say no, wait a minute, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this way. That's the moral center because only people, only people who are not gods experience actual morality, right? Everybody else experiences the gods, experience something that is far more blurry on the edges than what is right and what is wrong. And in the, 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 the thing that I think that Mr. Nancy was trying to tell Mr. Evis is, look, it's not that you are going out there to kill people. And it's not that I don't think that I know, okay, every single person who's dead is going to come across your table. I'm saying that you're perpetuating it by not rising to the occasion. And and that felt pretty damn strong. Like if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. I, yep. I, I kind of I mean, like they, 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 yeah, they, <laughs> It's so much hard-hitting stuff, which actually makes me even more excited to see what they're going to do in the next episode. But what I have to ask you, I actually, you know, I'm going to direct this um, to you, Jen. The way that they're putting, see, whenever, like in this season, some of the issues like between Nancy and Ibis and the things that they were discussing, right? 
you're going to have to intertwine these conversations that we've been having with all of these African gods. There's going to have to be some type of a, this has to be going in some type of a direction. I don't think that the types of things that um, they're pointing out with these characters this season, I don't think that it can, can get lost later in the season. Like there has to be something else, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? To them having these conversations and it being so strong. So I'm, I'm really hoping that they keep going with this because I do feel like having some discussions with people, they feel like there are awesome parts of, uh, of this season or awesome scenes that they like, but they don't necessarily get how it's going to play in the overall, mm. you know, scheme of things. And, and I mean, do y'all get what I'm saying? Like, oh, it just yeah. seems like th there has to be something else that they're leading to with this, with these characters within this story. Well, and, and I think of, of course, if you, if you have read the book, you know that there is, there, there is an end game to be had between the new and the old gods, but, but the journey along that way, I think is, it's open enough now that there are corridors on both sides of sort of the narrative that we are used to walking down with the book to incorporate all of these other things. And they are, they really have done it fairly masterfully. I mean, I, I had my own doubts at the beginning. And in fact, I was just reading somebody, I think it's from AV club who I normally love. I love all of their, uh, their takes on a lot of different uh, pop culture media, but they were really not down on, but really not very glamorized by American gods this season. And <clears throat> there was a part of me that was like, you know, I, I see where they're coming from. I, I, I get it. I, I feel like maybe it's a little tarnishy, but I can see that there's still something shiny underneath and all we got to do is polish it a tiny bit. And I feel like this episode is the one that polished off sort of the not and I because I can't even call it tarnish. I think it was just a bit of a, a haze of direction. Like there were things that need to be needed to be told and maybe they didn't know exactly how to narratively tell them. So they sort of mixed them up in a bit of a jumble that didn't quite make as much sense to the average viewer, unless you had sort of known what was to come. But this episode cinched so many pieces together that I had been waiting for that it feels like as much as it's the way of the dead, it feels like, oh, okay, this is the resurrection of American gods. And it really did feel that way. Like pivotal, it was a pivotal turning point, <laughs> not just, you know, oh, a little something to tide us over. Well, I mean, and, and this, I find it really um, ironic that you would use the word resurrection because that's kind of something that we learned along the lines of what's got, got to happen with Shadow Moon in this episode. At some point, he is going to have to die, so to speak, and be resurrected in some type of a way. I kind of got that out of um, some of the yeah. things that went down in this episode, or was that just me? No, I think you're totally right. Also, there is nothing ironic about my choice of syntax or my choice I of vocabulary. Know. I know. Uh, you, you, you can you can you can lead in a herd of dragons, Jen. Like you're you're the best. <laughs> okay, thank you. Now that I've got that compliment out of the way, I'm ready to move on. Um, okay, so uh, the uh, I, I, I the, the the before we leave this, because I do want to just briefly sort of touch on the other piece, which is uh, which is Mr. Wednesday and uh, Salim and Ifrit, and I, I really do want to sort of touch that. But before we leave this, I wanted to just go back and mention that Ruby, 
is definitely a uh, a piece of this story that feels very um what a nice connection they all sort of moved in in order to make this all work <clears throat> you have in one episode ruby who is mourning her grandmother her grandmother becomes sort of a, a centerpiece for mr nancy and mr evis and even bilquist to speak over uh she has a serious connection to bilquist and bilquist gives her a lot of attention and then in this episode we see sort of some of the uh the 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 reason that these gods want mortals to be around them look at how incredibly powerful her experience was and then the 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 minister at the end saying no you should go out there you should go out there and you should find some place where all this isn't happening and when you get there you tell me where it is because i want to go too damn if that isn't some yeah. kind of epic you know wow i that that <laughs> whole line was just like Whoa! <laughs> what made it even better was the fact that he was like looking, you know, like in the direction of the camera, like when saying it. Hey, uh, I and actually, is that that's that's not where the episode closed, was it? It's no. not where the episode closed, but oh, it, it it damn well could have been. I would have been. I like, know. Holy smokes! This is great. Kente, I know. What's that actor's name, Kente? Uh, do, do you remember the guy? The, the name of the guy who played the preacher? Did you see it? Oh my god, yeah, no. Lynn Thurman. Okay, yeah. Oh my gosh, he's been around like forever. I yeah, mean, I think they told me work, a great man. choice. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, that's that's insane. But yeah, I give high praises uh, for that. Do you think that the sequence where Shadow Moon was basically um, possessed? Uh, what 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 was it? Yeah, yeah. But Froggy had called it something. Uh, I heard a lot of people just looking online at people who either reviewed it or just looking at the general, you know, comments of just fans. And a lot of people seem to think that that short snippet was like, oh, that, that was some of the best, you know, delivery of dialogue or whatever that uh, Ricky Whittle had given. Did do, do, do you you think that? I, I mean, I I thought it was you know I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty good, but I, I don't know if I would say that that was the best. Uh, okay, so I think there's two things. The video. There's two things happening here, right? Number one, that is definitely not the best of Ricky Whittle, and if to say so is not to know Ricky Whittle for sure, and not. And I think to sort of underplay what he has already done in American God season one and season two. But let's let's. I think that there are two things being conflated here. The one thing is, it's the it's the emotion of what is happening narratively in the dialogue. In the dialogue, something so huge is coming out that it is impossible to look at the actor and not feel like he is deeply connected to what that is. Now, I mean, if if he if he had been not solid in his delivery, then maybe yeah, it could have felt a little watered down. But I think what people were feeling what that was specifically this connection to the story because it was so big and so ricky's delivery of those lines which don't get me wrong they were excellent but it was definitely this is this is why you have a ricky whittle in this position so that when you have this kind of exposition to be done you've got somebody really strong behind it who can deliver it with that kind of 
emotion and emphasis and just range, which I feel like was 100% accomplished. It, it, it has got to be hard for, uh, for Ricky Whittle to play Shadow, who is by all, by all, in, in all senses, rather milk toast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ju- he just isn't, and that's a criticism that I hear all the time. And, and Kinte, I, you can probably figure out even from the beginning parts of the book, that's who Shadow is. Shadow is not a range of emotional dynamics. He is very even and very steady and very sort of in the moment. And for when he is called upon to have those big moments, that's when we see them, which makes them even more impactful, I think. Right. Does that make sense, Yardley? Yes, it does, even though you did break up at the very end of that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> up until like the last like five seconds, you I just couldn't hear. I, I, I was just saying that I think that that's the reason that you have a Ricky Whittle involved is so that when you need for there to be this emotional delivery of dialogue, uh, yeah. it's right there. Agreed. Right, right. Oh, I, I, absolutely. I definitely, um, I definitely co-sign that. Now, do either of you really feel like at this point um, – for this particular season, do you feel like the character arcs of like a Laura Moon has have kind of been? It seems like we now have a direction, you know, with Laura Moon. We we kind of see, you know, where some of her choices later on down the road, or at least we think, because like I say, this this is the <laughs> this is the show, but um, we kind of feel like we have a little bit more direction of where her arc is going to go, at least in the short term. Do we feel like we um, we think that there's been a lot of movement as far as Shadow Moon as a character up to this point in this season? See, I, I you know, personally, okay, I don't even think that that is, I, I think that that is, it's a valid question, but it's, but it takes out of context what I think the story is more about. And I feel like it's hard to explain when you are reading the book, you understand that the entire world is basically told through Shadow, right? So, you don't things have to be from his perspective um things have to sort of center around what's happening in the shadow world if you will that that was bad but yeah i mean in shadow's world um and when we are seeing something on tv that is clearly in multiple from multiple different perspectives and in multiple different locations as as deeply as they are we are necessarily catapulted out of shadow's environment and his uh and the 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 steeper learning curves that we need to have about him and i don't i think that's one of the shortcomings of the story as an adaptation not it's not a shortcoming of them to give shadow depth of character or an interesting character arc or any of that it's that their shadow's character arc is to remain flat for quite some time i think even still to come where i mean he basically his his line is to sort of cross over between the gods and the normal world by asking questions, by getting shot down, by getting pushed out of his comfort zone continually. But his character arc itself is rather flat. And I think that there's a good reason for that. If that makes, I I hope that that makes some sense, both from the character standpoint and from the story standpoint, but I see 
why people would say, well, Shatter doesn't have very much, you know, it doesn't feel like he's a very well-developed character. But that to me feels like a design of this matrix, not a an accident of, oh, gee, we just didn't give enough thought to Shadow Moon. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's definitely not an accident because at the end of the day, even if you're reading a book, or you're watching a TV show, Shadow Moon is us. Yes. Like how interesting would we be if we were in that situation? You know what I mean? So I mean that that's that's obviously something that they meant to do you know, in writing, you know, um, Neil Gaiman and, um, you know, everybody involved with the show. Um, I think when you think of it from the standpoint, uh, you know, of, of you being Shadow Moon, I, I think it definitely, uh, it, it definitely works. If, if Shadow Moon is the every man, which is, you know, one of those tropes that everybody loves to kind of go into, I, then I think you have to look at who Shadow Moon is representationally inside of the story in a slightly different light because it's not just that shadow is struggling with you know what are all these exceptional things happening around me shadow is still struggling with who the hell am i and that to me feels like the deeper bigger question that we all ask ourselves and it's part of the reason that we seek out god we seek out spiritualism we speak out or we seek out guidance we seek out supernatural interventions because we are trying to define who we are in a world that sometimes feels chaotic and out of our control so from a metaphor standpoint it's a perfect metaphor hmm. Well, that's my take anyway. Well, I'm eloquent as always, Jen. I'm just going to ride your coattails on that one. Yeah, all right, too. so I know we only have one minute left, and all I want to say is Mr. Wednesday, Ifrit, and Saint and Salem in the dwarf scene was really, really funny. I, I just loved it. I loved every little aspect of it. Even though it wasn't hugely done, it was epically done. <laughs> I also love the way that... Um... He was mistaking Celine and the Jinn for those other two gods the same way that Wednesday was mistaken. <laughs> the same way. So I, I noticed that too. I thought that that was a pretty, uh, pretty fun throwback to it before. I also absolutely adored the fact that Mr. Wednesday calls Celine my misguided monotheist. That <laughs> just felt so. That was really great. I just really Hilarious. loved that. So maybe next time we can kind of touch on that. But for right now, we are scheduled to head on out of here. So I want to make sure that we have enough time to, one, make sure we remind everyone, invite you all to the Talking Game of Thrones podcast on Sunday after the premiere of Game of Thrones, and also to give Kinte and Yardley a chance to tell us how to find them on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at militant underscore marker. And you can follow me on uh, Instagram at Kente Ferguson and uh, Twitter, Kente F. And, of course, the website is IndyRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. And you can follow me at Twitter or on Twitter at FollowingBliss1. Or you can find my websites at MoviesMakeTheMeal.com and RickleLaughs.com. So until next time, we'll see you soon. The big wireless companies sold you an outdated plan tied to long-term contracts and mystery fees. Simple Mobile's different. You get a lightning-fast 4G LTE nationwide network with no contract, ever. And keep the phone and number you love. Just text the word BYOP to 611611 to see if your phone is compatible. Simple Mobile. Out with the old, in with the simple. 
Standard text message and data rates may apply based on your mobile phone service. Please refer always to the privacy policy at simplemobile.com slash privacy policy and the terms and conditions at simplemobile.com slash terms and conditions.